going to do a take two because I didn't start my podcast. We're supposed to do this simultaneously and boy did I screw up. So take two. Good morning Metropolitan fans. How are we doing? Uh, I guess we could be doing better. We lost another one after celebrating our big win. Our only win of the homestand Sunday against the Phillies. We had a day off to recollect and maybe gather our winning ways and figure out how it's done. Well, it just wasn't meant to be, was it? No siree, Bob. And no siree, everybody else, as I like to say. Mets lost another one in Boston yesterday. And I wasn't sure if I'd be ringing the debt bell today and saying, okay, that's it for the Mets. or having a fat lady come in and sing, but she's been postponed for another day. As far as I know, the Mets are still alive mathematically. So it ain't over till it's over. But I think even Yogi at this point would say it's over. Now... As far as I'm concerned, I want to thank you all for jumping on board these broadcasts and uh, the podcasts and what have you. And like I said, every day I'll be wearing a different hat and a different shirt just to keep you amused. More so to keep me amused. More so to make sure I change my clothes every day and have something different to wear. Well, this year, since you guys are all, I mean today, since you guys are all all all-stars, I'm wearing the Met 2019. There's the new era. Aren't we glad new era's on the cap? Oh boy, what a welcome addition to the Caps. And here we go. Here's, I'll figure this out yet. Here's the All-Star Game hat. 2021 All-Star Game in Colorado. Remember when we were supposed to be in Atlanta? Well, that never happened. Uh, Where's it next year? I think it's in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, the city of angels next year, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, back to our Metropolitans. Another tough loss yesterday and, uh, One of the bright spots of the second half has been Marcus Stroman. And uh, you can count count the bright spots on a hand hand baby basically now with Stroman, Aaron Loop, maybe uh, Javi Baez. Let's not underestimate Javi Baez. Francisco Lindor's been okay. And Pete Alonso's found his power again. Uh, But as far as the pitching is concerned, uh, Stroman's been one of the guys who's been giving us solid performances the entire second half. And uh, he's taken the place, although no one can take the place, of uh, Jacob DeGrom as that one solid guy in the rotation we can count on every day. And let's face it, Stroman's playing for a contract, so he's doing well in that regard so far this year. And I would hate to see him leave just because he's a competitive guy. He wants to win. Sometimes he does put his foot in the mouth once in a while, but uh, he's definitely not someone who's complacent. And uh, that's what you need in this day and age in baseball. You can't have players just mailing in the results. And uh, and it seems like some of that's been the blondness of the Mets has been on the offensive side. Like It just doesn't seem like sometimes Conforto, McNeil... Uh, Dom Smith, they just don't, I'm not saying they don't care. They just don't have that killer instinct when things are going bad. But I I don't see that in Stroman at all. And as a matter of fact, he did surrender two home runs Tuesday night. 
and the Mets never recovered. We lost 6-3 to the Red Sox. And these games are almost a formality at this point. We're just playing for statistics right now. As we now lost for the ninth time in 12 games, and uh, the tragic number from the division race shrunk to seven. So these games are still relevant. I don't know all the mathematical equations. Mars has to align with Venus, and Venus has to intersect with Jupiter somehow. But somehow we're still in it. Uh, I know the Braves played later in Arizona. I, don't know, I think they won, so that would make it six then. And push them at seven back behind the Braves. Uh, that's what my notes say before I, I did last night. I wasn't sure if the Braves won or not, but I'm not even paying attention anymore because I know, you know, it's over. Now, in a rare letdown performance, Stroman allowed four earned runs on seven hits and two walks with a hit batter over five innings that consisted of 95 pitches. And that's not the Stroman we know either. Uh, it marked only the fourth time this season Stroman allowed as many as four earned runs in a start. And that happened last on August 1st in the start against the Reds. Now, Strowman's, because of yesterday started, Strowman's ERA is up to 3.00. And that's the first time all season it has reached that number. So he's been on the three all year. Uh, and Strowman is basically saying he was too well rested. He was pitching on his seventh day of rest uh, on his seventh day instead of his usual fifth. And sometimes having too much rest can throw off a pitcher. And it looks like it happened with uh, Stroman yesterday. Now, he wasn't locating as well. And uh, it showed. It showed. He just wasn't himself. He wasn't his pinpoint control and throwing at the batters. And the Red Sox padded their lead with two runs against Miguel Castro in the sixth. And Xander Bogarts, one of the most underrated players in baseball, I say, drove in his third and fourth runs of the game on a two-run single against Brad Hand after Castro had put the runners on base. Uh, and after going five starts without allowing a homer, Stroman surrendered two in the fifth, and that gave the Red Sox their 4-2 lead. Enrique Hernandez cracked the green monster, leading off the inning to tie the game for Bogarts and loaded with two-run blast. And entering the night, Stroman hadn't allowed a homer since August 17th when the Giants took him deep twice in San Francisco. That third time through the order, that just ambushed him, uh, the double homer, and that happened quick. And when it rains, it pours, especially when you're playing in Fenway Park. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Same old, same old, right, with the Metropolitans? Uh, I think I'm getting about as tired of it as you are. And I'm almost welcoming the offseason to start. Now, the Red Sox scored a gift run in the fourth to pull within 2-1 to one against Stroman after Bobby Dalback launched, launched a double off the center field wall. And he's a power hitter. I think he's only going to get better the more and more he plays. And a double went off the center field wall. And it just missed the homer. Christian Vasquez hit a shot to the left field. On which Pilar started in and misplayed it into an RBI double. And Stroman rebounded to retire Julio Jose Iglesias for the final out. Now Stroman loaded the bases with nobody out in the third. But Bogarts hit into a 5-2-3 double play. That was nice. And then retired Rafael Devers. Boston's threat had emerged after Hernandez was hit by a pitch, and Kyle Schwarber walked to load the bases. Iglesias' double started the rally. Now, J.D. Davis, Davis, who's finally getting some playing time, drew a bases loaded walk against Eduardo Rodriguez in the fourth to give the Mets their initial run 
hey, whatever it takes, base on balls, hitting the head, whatever it takes to bring in a run, we'll take it. And Conforto's RBI single against the shift extended that lead to 2-0. But Pete Alonso was thrown out the play trying to score behind Baez. Now, after the inning was complete, third base coach Gary DeSarcina punched the dugout wall in disgust, presumably over the decision to send Alonso. Baez's single sandwiched between walks to Francisco and Lindor and Alonso ignited the inning. Now, Alonso's 34th home run of the season, a rope that hit a billboard behind the Green Monster in the eighth, accounted for the Mets' final run. And even Alonso said, we have to finish the season strong regardless of where we are in the standings, adding it's unlikely the Mets would reach the playoffs. And when Pete Alonso says it, he's almost making the concession speech. We can almost say, okay. It's over. It's over. Let's not cry anymore. It's over. Now, how about that Pete Alonso play at the plate, though? Uh, he didn't have a chance. And uh, if you saw the game, you could say, oh, no, what are the Mets doing? This is how you win games, by doing well on the Bates pads. Well, Gary DeSarcino was aggressive with his right arm in the fourth inning, but that was nothing compared to his fist. The Mets' third-base coach, I don't know if you guys caught it, if you watched the game, was caught on camera punching the dugout wall in disgust upon leaving the left field. And when, when is that ever a good thing when a coach or a player punches the wall? You do not win. The wall always wins. After Pete Alonso got nailed to play to thwart a potential big inning in the team's 6-3 loss to the Red Sox in Fenway Park. And like I said, I, this is just a sign of frustrated baseball. Because Mike, Mike Conforto stroked an RBI single against the shift to bring in Javier Baez from third. And the Mets had a 2-1 to one lead. It wasn't like they needed that run that bad at that moment. And Alonso, from, throw, running from second base, was easily thrown out the plate by Enrique Hernandez after receiving the green light from De Sarcina. It was the first out in the inning. Left field is so short in Fenway Park. I hate to say this, but... This, uh, the managing and the coaching has been horrific during this slump. And I'm sorry. I give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but there is no way Alonzo should have been sent yesterday. He was a dead duck. The throw was online, and uh, Vasquez, the catcher, put a good tag on him, and it was over, over. And uh, supposedly neither Alonzo nor Rojas had a chance to speak with Dee Sarcina during the game or immediately after it about the play. But, oh, my God. And how do you not speak to DeSarcina if you're Rojas? Again, it's a... I don't know what to say. Uh, sometimes I think the inmates are running the asylum. But the Met players aren't really that bad. It wasn't that. But how does uh, Rojas not communicate with DeSarcina at that point? Can anybody help me out on that? Does anyone have a solution? Does anyone have a feeling on that? Because I just don't get it. Uh... So it's not only the managerial aspects that's bugging me about this Met team. Right now, it's the coaching and the overall attitude. I mean, you had a 2-1 to lead. It's early in the game. Alonzo's on third base. The chances of him scoring are minimal on that play. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But let's go to the one bright spot. And you know me. If you listen to these YouTube casts and podcasts, it's Brandon Nimmo. And I said in the beginning of the year with this George Springer thing, we don't need Springer. Now, guarantee, I'll, I'll give you benefit of the doubt here. Uh, Springer is a better defensive player than Brandon Nimmo. And Springer can electrify. He has a lot of natural ability. 
But Brandon Nemo is about as pure a baseball player as there is, especially offensively. And again, I am telling you, he does not get the recognition he deserves as a player. He is an on-base machine. He is such a disciplined hitter. He gets on base. He only swings at good pitches. And he is getting so much better defensively. He is our center fielder. Why were who were you gonna get? What, what was that? I'm not gonna say clown, but the Red Sox guy, Jackie Bradley Jr. Why would we get Jackie Bradley Jr. to play center field over Brandon Nimmo? Now, granted, Bradley Jr. is a great defensive player, but he can't hit a lick. <sighs> Calm down, Stan. It's the end of the year. We got a lot to look forward to next year. Now, the Mets are a team that has improved dramatically defensively. And that was one of the reasons why the pitching staff was doing so well in the beginning of the season. And Nimmo's development in center field stands out and has dispelled the notion upgrade to position is necessary for the Mets. That's right. They do not need to upgrade upgrade in center field. Nimmo entered Tuesday's game at Fenway Park with three outs above average this season as a center fielder. And we just wanted him to be average, but he's actually better than average defensively. That places him in the 86th percentile among those who play the position. So basically, these numbers, now I know they're numbers, but my eyes don't lie either. He's better than 86% of the center fielders out there. See, I could put numbers in my head. Uh, and this follows a 2020 season, which was minus four and outs above average in center field. So he has worked at it. He's one of those guys that if he keeps like almost like Alonzo at first base. Alonzo's still not at the skill level that Dominic Smith was, but he works hard, and both of these players can get better at their position. Uh, and like I said, Nimmo is distinguishing himself as a center fielder, and I think we found ourselves a center fielder. And like I said, the Mets pursued options such as George Springer and Jackie Bradley Jr. for center field, but when neither materialized, they were left to give Nimmo a shot. It wasn't like they wanted to give him a shot with Kevin Pollard as a backup. Nimmo, with help from outfield coach Tony Tarasco, seized the opportunity. So I don't know how much the coach has a lot to do with this, but my hat's off to Tony Tarasco because if you're the coach, you've got to be helping him out somehow along the way. And it looks like it's a good pairing because the results are there. Uh, he and he looks so comfortable on the ball. He knows when to die for a ball. He knows when he's closing in on the wall. Uh, he keeps a good distance, and he's a leaping and jumping ability to make catches. Even remember that home run he stole earlier this year? So he's been doing all the things in the last couple of years, and it's only going to keep making him better. Uh, and Tarasco, from what I hear, is the one responsible for playing him to having him play deeper. And as the season progressed, Nimmo's comfort level increased enough that he became playing shower. So as a matter of building up his confidence level, and for that, Tarasco needs all the credit in the world. And last year when he played center field, now center field's a tough position. Uh, you don't know how the ball's coming at you half the time. And it's one of those positions where you just need experience. Uh, and Nimmo's fast enough so he can cover up for his mistakes, but with the experience and his speed now, he's becoming that much better. And he's getting to those balls that were borderline and falling in. And like I said... 
Nimmo is not the left fielder we want. If you're going to put Dominic Smith or Jeff McNeil out there, I'd rather do that and have Nimmo play center field. Now, who knows what next year's outfield is going to look like. Uh, Conforto is impending free agency. Uh, it's tied to center field. Uh, like I said, Nimmo with his numbers, 299, 413 on base percentage, 424 slugging. And he's missed two months of the season with that ligament tear in his left hand. He may be the most valuable Met player offensively. Uh, and he nearly missed two weeks recently with a strained right hamstring. And like I said, he's been doing things he hasn't been able to do the last couple years. He's a really good hitter. He gets on base. And I think he hits more power, or he can hit for more power than he has been. But I think he's been focused on getting on base in his, based on his position in the uh, batting order. But I even still, I think he can even hit for more power. And I think uh, there will come a time where he actually gets about 20 home runs a year. Now, I don't know who the Facebook user is here because it doesn't in, in tell me on StreamYard. But someone said, simple, they will be fired at the end of the year. And I think you are talking about Rojas and DeSarcina. And I think those are going to be the first casualties the Mets offseason, without a doubt. I think you nailed it. Uh, and if you're watching Met Baseball these days, you know that that's the problem. Uh, there's so many one-run games we've lost that basically have come down to bad managerial decisions. Now, I know every managerial is a, a crapshoot, uh, but, you know, you're paid to make the right move. You can't say, oh, geez, I wish it would have happened, but what are you going to do? Now, what's going to happen with Noah Syndergaard? Now, the Mets are basically laying out a plan for Thor. Uh, and, I guess, Jacob DeGrom, as a matter of fact. Uh, what's going to happen with them the rest of the way? But it'll be interesting. Uh, I do think we're going to see Thor first before we see DeGrom, if we see DeGrom. And... Uh, it looks like Syndergaard is going to go and pitch for AAA Syracuse. And if all that proceeds without a hitch, uh, he could be on the major league roster next week, the last week of the season. He was scheduled to pitch Wednesday for Syracuse. He is scheduled. Wednesday hasn't happened yet. Wake up. Boom, boom, boom. Time for my cup of coffee. Hold on. Here we go. Thor is scheduled to pitch Wednesday for Syracuse in a minor league rehab appearance, according to Rojas, and may follow that with one additional AAA outing in his latest comeback attempt. Now, Syndergaard, as we all know, and we know him, we love him, we can't live without him, he, uh, he's playing for a contract, and uh, yeah, I hate to, to say it, but what are we going to do with Thor? What? I guess we have to see what happens here. Uh, he did undergo Tommy John surgery in March 2020, and he was on track to rejoin the Mets earlier this month. But he did test positive for COVID-19, and that really stung. We didn't see that coming. Otherwise, we'd probably have Thor pitching by now. And he had to quarantine for 10 days. Now, the plan calls for Syndergaard to pitch from the bullpen, or perhaps as an opener, I'd rather see him as an opener. If you're going to pitch him as a starter next year, why not just pitch him as an opener? 
go through the lineup once if he can go that far and see what he does under regular circumstances. And unless you want to make him a closer, and that's always a thought. But I think that's Edwin Diaz's job, win or lose, and I think that's why they got Edwin Diaz. Now, we were talking about Jacob DeGrom, and he threw from a bullpen mound at Fenway Park before the Mets faced the Red Sox and is expected to repeat the process in Milwaukee on Friday before team officials evaluate whether he may rejoin the Major League roster. And more than anything, the Mets have to make sure these guys are healthy. Uh, Rojas may be a little bit delusional, and he says we're still working on a way to close the gap for the playoffs with a sp- for a spot in the playoffs. Well, so, sorry, Mr. Rojas, you're done. And... Uh, He's saying that those two will come in handy if they're at the best going through the progression. But excuse me while I make a phone call. Well, will we? We're not making the playoffs. So now you have to decide how to go forward with the grommets in the guard. Thanks for being patient with me, folks. Now, the Grom who last pitched on July 7th because of forearm tightness and elbow sprain was asked if the plans to make a cameo before the season concludes. The Mets ace would likely be limited to one or two innings. If everything keeps going well... He feels good, says DeGrom. So it may be fun watching some Met games. He's in the guard in the Grom pitch. Uh, I, as tradition has, I always go to the last home game of the year, and that'll be Thursday. I was thinking about going to the Tuesday uh, seven-inning doubleheader, you know, that gimmick they have this year, which hopefully will be gone next year. I don't know if I could sit through two meaningless games. Even the Met fan I am, I'll just watch on TV. Now, Taiwan Walker has leaped for Tyler McGill in the rotation. will start Wednesday night's game against the Red Sox. And I'm wondering what the thinking was with that. Just try to chill out McGill and see how, you know, he's recovering from his last few bad outings. Now, Walker will be pitching a normal rest because of Monday's day off. Now, McGill, who last pitched on Wednesday's, Wednesday, is scheduled to open the weekend series in Milwaukee on Friday. So there you have it, folks. Those are some of the things that are going on in Metland. And I guess, like, the big picture is, what is going to happen with Noah Syndergaard? you guys have any thoughts? Um, wait, we have another comment. This Justin. Correct, it's Jan. Hmm. I don't know what the Facebook user meant by correct, it's Jan, but... All right, maybe he'll come back on if he's watching. Uh, sorry, I do like to check in if any comments and maybe respond to them here. So, biggie pardon. I hope that doesn't interrupt the flow of the uh, outstanding broadcast we do for you Met fans every day. Uh, but getting back to Thor, he is one of the most intriguing uh, players in the last five, six years. And he'll always be remembered for that great 2015 team. And let's face it, he's been a ghost for the past two years. A whisper, a rumor, and just him in the background, little mumblings about him coming back. But he's still a popular figure. Uh, And remember when spring training last year was canceled, and then 13 days later, Syndergaard announced he was having Tommy John surgery? Uh, And normally, such an announcement carries traumatic echoes that ring for weeks, but the country was numb. No one even thought too much about Syndergaard going through that with the epidemic in full blast. And when baseball did return, it came back from a 60-game spasm that barely seemed worth the effort. But they did get a season in, and I applaud them for that, just to keep the continuity of baseball history in there. But it was easier to forget Syndergaard and, you know, cry over his absence in such a season. 
And by the time he started suffering setbacks this year, I'd been long gone since Syndergaard had pitched an actual game for the Mets. And the muscle memory was all but gone. We almost forgot about Thor. Plus, losing Jacob to Grom in July was a lot more traumatic, so that made us even forget about Syndergaard even more. And Thor, we're not forgetting about you, but just these circumstances that led to all this. Now, Syndergaard will pitch, like I said, Wednesday. And if things go well, he'll throw another one Saturday or Sunday. And then sometime across the final seven days of the Mets season, he hopes that number 34 will throw his first pitch in anger for the big league club in almost two years. And after that, well, he does have a lot of career, and I still think he has a bright future in front of him. Uh, he's one of a kind. I just wish he'd lighten up that exercise regimen he has. There's no need to look like Thor. Just respect the nickname. There's no need to have veins popping out of your biceps and everything. Uh... But we'll see. What will the next chapter be? He's a free agent at the end of this season, and Mets going to face a quandary about what to do with him. Had the elbow not gone sideways, they were ready, they probably would have extended him or dealt him away, one or the other at this point. And surely, even with resources, the Mets aren't about to make him a multi-year offer unless they decide to vote a $20 million qualifying offer. And also unlikely... They will be bidding with other clubs looking to marry a pitcher willing to take on one year at short money with the option rebuilding value. Now, what's the best case scenario for all this? Well, Robbie Ray, the Blue Jays, after several years of dropping losses, increasingly poor form and signed a one-year $8 million that he will surely parlay into a big-money deal after posting a terrific year, 12-6, 2.72, and a league-leading 238 strikeouts. A case where it didn't work out? How about Corey Kluber? Uh, he had that one-year $11 million deal with the Yankees, and uh, he did pitch well. Uh, he didn't pitch a no-hitter, but uh, he, really, he really hasn't pitched at all. He's been hurt all year. So it'll be interesting what the outcome is with Syndergaard. He's younger than Kluber, so maybe that's an ally on his side. Uh, and Syndergaard, I think, may be that type of person who bets on himself. Uh, he may figure out that a relatively one-year deal that's low on the dollar amount uh, with a team like the Rays or Astros that have a track record of maximizing pitchers' tools and reviving careers may work out, or he may end up with the Mets again. Uh, he was our opening day starter twice, and it'd be tough to cut the cord with him. I will miss him if he goes. But let's face facts, his last season, 2019, was a little disappointing. He was 10-8 and with a 4.28 ERA. But he did pitch a 7-inning, 3-hit, 10-strikeout gem against the Nationals that year, who were world champions that year. So hopefully he's matured a little bit. He's a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and willing to become more of a pitcher. Uh, but I guess the new guy is going to come in and run the Mets may not be that loyal to Syndergaard because he has no ties to Thor. So that's what's going to make it intriguing. Will the new guy who comes in, because it's basically going to be his ball club the way he wants to build it, will he see Thor as a building block for this team? Um, but before we go there, it's just going to be fun seeing how he does. Uh, the rest of the year when he comes in, it looks like he will be pitching for the Metropolitans, and I'm looking forward to it. All right, what else are we looking forward to? Well, there's a lot to always look forward to when you're a Met fan, isn't there? Uh, you never know what's going to happen next. Being a Met fan is like being a box of chocolates. When you open one up, you never know what you're going to get. 
Maybe I should give that line to Forrest Gump. What do you say? But let's go. You know what we should do? Let's think of more pleasant times. Shall we? Yes, I think we shall. And let's go back to that year 1988. Who here, who here, who is watching this YouTube cast or listening to the podcast and we're live on Baseball Way of Life and we're live on New York Mets Baseball Way of Life, thought the 1988 Mets were going to win it all. So did I. But then so did the Dodgers. With their depleted lineup and Oral Hershiser, they knocked us out in seven games. And Well, I don't even want to talk about that. I want to talk about the good things that happened in 1988. And it was a fun ride. A lot, it was almost exciting as 2006, except we just didn't get the job done. But on this date in 1988, and it's hard to believe it's 33 years ago already. Oh, I got a drink to that. Salute to the 88 Mets. Well, Davey Johnson's Mets were 94-57 and 57 and were on a roll counting down toward the 1988 NL Eastern title. They came on strong down the stretch to overtake the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pirates were a damn good ball club that year. Now, the win on this evening was their 8th in a row, 13th out of their last 14th, and 18th out of their last 22. Big crowd came out to the Big Shea, or as I used to like to call it, the Shaysker. Don't ask me why. I have no idea. I was weird then, I'm weird now. And 45,274 came out to Shea to see the Mets clinch their second NL Eastern Division title in three years. The Shea faithful cheered loudly from the first pitch onward through the night. Now, unlike 86 when all the hooligans ran on the field when the Mets clinched, and I was one of them, I even ripped up some dirt and I still have in a Ziploc bag somewhere. Uh, this time, the NYPD police was ready and had 80 mounted policemen on horses and over 800 police officers in total to make sure no one got on the field. And yes, they were ready to make sure what happened in the 1986 clinching celebration where the fans stormed and ripped up the field was not going to happen this time. The public address announcer welcomed their presence in the eighth inning as the crowd greeted them with booze. So the PA was even telling you, Watch out. Do not go on the field. But the fans nonetheless wanted a repeat with an 86 tight bike celebration. Well, the team came through for them. They just didn't get to run on the field. Well, here's the lineup that day for the Phillies. Ready? Phil Bradley, left field, batting first. Ron Jones, right field, batting second. Ricky Jordan, first base, batting third. Bond, Purple Hayes, right field, a center field, batting fourth. Juan Samuel, wouldn't he look good in a Met uniform soon? No one ever said. Batting fifth, playing second base. Lance, look at me, muscle-bound parish. Catcher, batting sixth. Chris James, third base, batting seventh. Steve Jeltz, shortstop, batting eighth. And Don Carmen, batting ninth as the pitcher. Leading off, Mookie Wilson, center field. Greg Jeffries. A popular player amongst the Mets. Uh, batting third, batting second. El Capitan, Keith Hernandez, batting third, first base. The straw man, Daryl Strawberry, right field, batting fourth. Kevin McReynolds, Mr. Energy and Excitement himself, left field, batting fifth. The Kid, Gary Carter, batting sixth. Tim Tuffle Shuffle, playing second base, batting seventh. Kevin Elster, I should have been a model, playing shortstop, batting eighth. And Ronnie, oh my darling, pitching and batting ninth. 
Now, Ron Darling got to start that night and became the fourth Met pitcher to celebrate on the mound as the Mets won an Eastern Division title. Darling found a little extra in his arm that night and was going to finish the game no matter what. Darling went the distance, only allowing one run on six hits with one walk and struck out four. It was his 16th win of the year, and he went up third on the 88 team with 17 wins and third with a 3.25 ERA. So it was a good year all around for Ronnie. Now, the Mets only scored three runs off Philadelphia's Don Carmen, but it was all they needed. Mookie Wilson led with three hits on the night and a run scored. Now, in the fifth, down one nothing, Kevin Elster led off with a double. Mookie Wilson followed with a one-out single, Elster going to third. Greg Jeffries then grounded out the third, scoring Kevin Elster, tying the game 1-1. Now in the sixth, Dow Strawberry singled and reached third on a Kevin McReynolds single. The straw man then singled, scored when Don Carmen threw a wild pitch. Now in the seventh inning, fan favorite Mookie Wilson single advanced a second and then scored when Kevin McReynolds had an infield single himself. Now in the ninth inning, Darling struck out Von Purple Hayes, then got Juan Samuel to ground out to the mound. Darling then struck out Lance Parrish to end the inning. Darling was met on the mound by the kid Gary Carter to celebrate. The rest of the team joined them with no pressure from the fans as the mounted police stopped anyone from storming the field. The Mets celebration moved on to the clubhouse. Yes, I was at that game in 88, and yes, I couldn't run on the field like I did in 86. Now, Here's a little trivia regarding that game. The night before, the Mets received bad news when pitcher Bobby Ojeda injured himself at home trimming his hedges. Ouch! Ouch! Ojeda had severed his left index finger and had to undergo nearly five hours of surgery to repair it. He was lost for the rest of the year and, more importantly, the postseason. Oh, my God. Hire a gardener, Bobby. His absence was certainly missed as the Mets lost the NLCS to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the hedges won the Mets didn't. Although with Dwight Gooden, Ron Darling, and David Cohn, the Mets were still looking good in the pitching department heading into the playoffs. But nonetheless, it would always have been nice to have Bobby O as part of that rotation. Wouldn't have been. Now, what else happened on this date in Met history? Glad you asked. Uh, in this date, 1962, Al Jackson suffered his 20th loss of the season when Chicago beat the Mets at the Polo Grounds 8-2. The New York South Pole joins Roger Craig in reaching a dubious number of defeats, ma making the pair the first teammates since Bucky Waters and Joe Bowman of the 1936 Phillies to become 20-game losers on the same National League team. Now, in this state in 1998, one of the best Met hitters of all time, if you ask me, Johnny Allrude tied Barry Bonds' National League record of reaching base 15 consecutive times when he walks in the first inning, the Met first baseman grounded down the third, falling one short of the 1957 MLB mark set by Ted Williams. Now how about this date? A little trivial fact for you here. In this date in 2003, for only the third time in Major League history, a Korean and a Japanese pitcher opposed one another as Expos hurler Tomo Oka faces Jay Wong So as starters at Shea Stadium. Both Pacific Rim right-handers throw well, but neither gets the decision as the Montreal Expos beat the Mets on misplayed foul balls in the ninth, 4-2. And on this date in 2000, Mets closer Armando Benitez blanks the Phillies in the ninth for his 39th save, breaking Southpaw John Franco's club record. The left-handed bullpen veteran also appeared in the Mets' 9-6 win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the things that happened in Mets history. 
And what's going on in the group, New York Mets Baseball Life? And here's my moment to actually plug the group. If you're a Facebook member and haven't joined the group, please do so. We're New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. We'd love to have you. And if you're not a YouTube, uh, you haven't subscribed to this YouTube cast yet, please subscribe. You'll be updated every time one is going live and you'll have access to all the archives. And same thing, if you're not a subscriber to the podcast and you listen to the podcast now, please do subscribe. Uh, we're on all the carriers out there. Stitcher, uh, Apple, Spotify, you name them, we're on them. you got a, a, a podcast carrier on your phone or wherever, we're there for you. If you ever need to reach me, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. Now, you know what I forgot to do? Oh, my goodness. I forgot to celebrate the Met birthdays today. And what was I thinking? We got some good ones today. Uh, before we go into what's going on in the group, happy birthday to Wally Backman, fan favorite for the Mets. Oh, did we love Wally. A lot of people wanted him to be the manager in recent years. He's had his issues uh, on and off the field. Interesting facts about Wally. He led the Mets in stolen bases with 30 in 1985 and in sacrifice hits with 14 in 1985. So he was a player that, those stats right there tell you he was the type of player that got the job done. Uh, everybody loved Wally. Uh, maybe not the most talented player in the world, but we loved him. And happy birthday to Bob Guerin, Mets Betts coach from 2012 to 2015. Happy birthday, Bob. And here's a guy who's probably not as popular as Wally Backman, but he had a big mark in med history, Vince Coleman, or as we like to call him, the firecracker. Uh, he was winner of the National League Rookie of the Year Award with the Cardinals in 1985. In his first five or six years, he was just a speed demon in baseball. And uh, he was averaging like 60 stolen bases. We came to the Mets, he toned it down a bit. He wasn't playing as much either. The most at-bats he ever had for the Mets were uh, 373 and 93 his last year. And that was also his highest batting average, but his on-base percentage was horrible. It was only 336 his three years combined with the Mets. Mets, excuse me. And his batting average 270. And let's face it, those are good numbers for an average player, but that wasn't what we traded for when we got Vince Coleman. But happy birthday, Vince. And happy birthday to Mark Guthrie, who pitched 68 games for us. Who remembers that in 2002? Uh, he was basically a one-out pitcher, uh, and uh, pitched 48 innings, 2.44 ERA in 2002. So happy birthday, Mark Guthrie. Happy birthday to Jeff Barry. As our man Harvey Porter says, he only had 15 at-bats and uh, two hits for the Mets, but it's his birthday anyway, and we celebrate that's the beauty of this YouTube cast. We celebrate everyone's birthday today. So happy birthday, Jeff. And happy birthday to Chris Schwinden. Uh, he was with us in 2011 and 2012. All told, pitched seven total games for Mets, 29.2 innings. And his ERA was not that sterling, 6.89. Nonetheless, happy birthday, Chris Schwinden. Now what's going on in the group? Well, we noted that Marcus Stroman leads the majors with 32 starts, and his 3.0 ERA is good for ninth in the major leagues among qualified starters. Uh, he has a 3.43 fielding percentage ERA, which is 15th in baseball. And here's an odd stat. I don't know if you want to read into this one or not, 
But the Mets are 24 and 18 when Thomas Nito starts and 42 and 53 when James McCann starts. Well, Edwin Diaz, welcome. We welcome Edwin Diaz to the 30 save club in Met history. Who were the others to do it? Uh, Jerry's Familia in 2015 and 2016. Francisco Rodriguez in 2009. Billy Wagner in 2006 and 2007. Armando Benitez, 2000, 2001, and 2002. Johnny Franco in 1990, 91, 94, 97, 98. How about that? Five times Franco at 30 saves. And Jesse Orozco in 1984. And then I put a stat up there from Fangrass. Maybe you guys didn't want to see. Right now, the Mets have a 0.1% chance of making the postseason. But they still have a chance. And here's a pretty cool thing. Uh, the top athletes in the New York area are going to end up being in a battle of the Bar Burroughs Home Run Derby. And it's going to be hosted by Pete Alonzo. And it's going to be for charity. And all proceeds go to Pete Alonzo's Homers for Heroes Foundation. So if you're in the Brooklyn area on September 27, gates open up at 6. Check it out. You'll see Pete and you'll see some young sluggers. And the madness continues with these long games. I noted that last night's game was 3 hours and 38 minutes, making it the 10 straight Met game the last at least 3 hours and 30 minutes long. I even said, I think there's a problem here. Uh, oh, you got to devote a lot of your time now to actually watch these Met games. Then I took a poll and I said, should the Mets re-sign Noah Syndergaard? And 100% of you said yes. And Marty Rose said, on the condition, it's a qualifying offer. So those, those are some of the good things we've been talking about in the group. And again, I want to thank you all. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for being members of the group. And if you haven't joined again, it's Facebook, New York Mets Baseball Way Life. And please subscribe to this YouTube cast. We'd love to have you aboard. Uh, and that's going to be it basically for today. Uh, let's not forget, we got another Met game tonight. The season ain't over till it's over. And even if it's over, there's still games to be played, right? Yep, we play those Red Sox again tonight. Uh, like I said, Taiwan Walker is going for the Red Sox. Now let me just check who's going for... Oh. I did not know this. Chris Sale, 4-0 with a 2.40 ERA. That's going to be a beauty. We're going to have to watch this one, and we'll be back to talk about it tomorrow. Hopefully, we'll have, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have a happy Met recap for you. So uh, enjoy the day. Uh, it's in the 80s today. Is summer ever going to end in New York? Anyway, uh, enjoy the day. Enjoy the game. Nice matchup today. Should be fun watching up in Fenway. Walker against Sale. So hopefully we'll be back tomorrow to talk about it. And wherever you listen to this show, live on uh, New York Mets Baseball Way, of, Baseball Way of Life, or the podcast, or the YouTube channel, Baseball Way of Life, please tune in. We'll be here for your viewing needs. And again, thanks for everyone who leaves a comment. And always feel free to leave a comment at the end of the broadcast, too, if you so desire. And subscribe, as always. Talk to you tomorrow. Let's go, Mets. And... Thanks again for being the best fans in the world and being members of this group.
Hey guys, you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to give you the trivia question and the Jeopardy question of the day. Here's the trivia question. Who's ready? Okay, ready or not, here it comes. Be prepared. When the Mets traded for Ioannis Cespedes in 2015, who tweeted? I can't believe I can actually say this, but is it true that there is now a Cespedes for the rest of us? And here's the Jeopardy clue of the day. On June 29, 2018, he made his first start for the Mets after Jacob DeGrom was scratched. He only pitched in two games for the Mets in 2019, giving up nine runs and six and point one innings pitched, and in 2020 appeared in four games, giving up seven runs in 13 innings pitched. Give you a second to think about it. Okay, here it is. The trivia question, the answer to the trivia question was, and here's the trivia question. When the Mets traded for Ioannis Cespedes in 2015, who tweeted, I can't believe I can actually say this, but is it true that there is now a Cespedes for the rest of us? Well, the correct answer is Jerry Seinfeld. Guess who got it right, folks? Yes, Jason Lynch was the first to submit the correct answer. Now today's Jeopardy, final Met Jeopardy. Two clues were on June 29, 2018. He made his first start for the Mets after Jacob DeGrom was scratched. Only pitched in two games for the Mets in 2019, giving up nine runs and 6.1 innings pitched. In 2020, he appeared in four games, giving up seven runs and 13 innings pitched. Well, the correct response is who is Corey Oswald? Again, congrats to our resident Met. Baseball genius, Jason Lynch. I'm being the first to submit the correct answer. And we'll be back tomorrow with some more trivia and Jeopardy. Jumping in the seats.